Amen. Good morning. Good morning again. It is so good. It is so good to be with you this morning, and I am so excited to to bring this name of Yahweh, this name of God this morning. So just to recap, we started the series off with Jehovah Ra'ah, God, our shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He guides us. He leads us. He cares for us because he is good. Then last week, one of the things that we find as we are being led by this good shepherd is peace. And not just the peace that comes when things are quiet, when things are good, when we can, you know, get away for a nice weekend. It's shalom. It's the fullness of peace, the fullness of joy, completeness that only comes from Jesus himself, from God himself. Jehovah Shalom, Jesus is our peace. And today we're going to talk about Jehovah Sidiknu. Can you say that with me? Say Jehovah. We got that one. Sidiknu. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay, I've been practicing all week. Okay. Jehovah Sidiknu. God is our righteousness. And as I was practicing it at home, my brother's like, are you saying Jehovah Sudoku? And I'm like, no, 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 no. So Jehovah Sudoku is the name for Yahweh, the answer to every problem. Um, Just kidding, that's not a thing. But Jesus really is the answer to every problem. And the biggest problem that he came to solve and the biggest problem that he came to address is this giant problem of sin. We've heard of it. Yes, sin comes from the Hebrew word translated to kata. And kata in itself is not really a spiritual word. What kata means is missing the mark or, or failing to, to meet the goal. So for example, if you gave me a basketball and asked me to stand um, at the three-pointer pointer line and to make a basket, I would kata time after time after time. I would miss the mark, I would fail the goal because there's just not an athletic bone in my body. <laughs> Kata, to fail. And this is exactly what happened in the garden. God created everything so perfectly. Adam and Eve, they were in communion. They were in relationship with God. They had one job, to love God. And in that love flowed obedience. And from that obedience flowed how to love each other and how to, how to steward creation well. And in the face of temptation, they Katad, they missed the mark, they failed the goal. And as we read scripture, we start to notice that this idea of kata, of failing and missing, just happens time after time after time. They, people of God, were unable to love God. They started giving their hearts away to other gods, they started chasing other things, and in this chase and pursuit of everything that they weren't supposed to chase and pursue, came the aftermath, not being able to love each other well, not being able to steward well. And we see this, as Paul mentioned last week with with Jehovah Shalom, through the book of Judges, as he was kind of giving a recap of where we found Gideon, it says time after time, and the people did what was right in their own eyes, and they had no king, and everybody was just doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. It was a mess. It was a mess. And they needed a savior. We need a savior. So the word of the Lord comes today from Jeremiah 1 through 6. Please follow with me on the screen. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not 
attentive to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any of them be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. In the middle of a literal hot mess <laughs> of what was Israel and what was going on with, with the kings and what was going on with the government and what was going on in the world, Jeremiah was sending a word of the Lord that was saying, I know that things are kind of crazy right now. They're actually really crazy and you're divided, and you're scattered, and everybody's kind of elsewhere. But things are gonna change. And it's not gonna change because we're gonna make it better, and it's not gonna change because you know, a, a king that is a man and human is gonna come and set everything right. No, things are going to be made right because someone was coming, a Messiah a righteous branch. On this side of history, we know the story. But let's put ourselves in their context for just a second. The leadership was terrible. This is chapter 23 of Jeremiah. In chapter 22, Jeremiah had sent, the Lord had sent a word through Jeremiah condemning the kings. You have failed miserably. You have katahed it. <laughs> you have failed miserably and you have katahed it. You are turning away from the Lord and justice is coming. But in that justice, there's also hope. So we're going to take this verse by verse. So verse one, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. When Jeremiah was giving this word to the people, he was referring not, so when we think of shepherd, we think of kind of like the people in spiritual authority. We think of pastors, we think of leaders, we think of those who are shepherding and, and tending to the souls of our flock. And as we learned through, through Pastor Kimberly, I mean, we're kind of dumb and we need we need that shepherding and we need that leadership, but it's not just referring to the spiritual leaders at this point. Jeremiah is talking to all of the people in authority, whether you were a king, whether you were a political leader, whether you were a businessman, whether you were leading you know, any kind of, of thing, military leader, he was condemning their unfaithfulness. He was basically saying to them, you literally had one job. Your job was to love God to love him, to serve him, to follow him. And in that devotion and in that love and in that surrender would flow everything else. Love God, love people. Love God, lead people to God. And they were missing the goal terribly. Verse 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. 
And I love this verse because it shows the Father's heart. God is love. The Father loves his children. He loves his people. And for those that he placed in authority, he is calling them out. And he said, you literally had one job, to love me so that you could love them well. And you are not loving them well. And as I was reading this, I, I sat at my desk and, and I, I was like, I felt it to me, Audrey, are you loving me well so that you can love others well? So I'm asking you this question this morning, church. Are we loving God and are we loving people? Are we caring and tending to them the way that he has called us to, to love and care? And because they weren't, they were literally divided. The exile was going on. Some people were in Babylon. Some people were sent as refugees to Egypt. The people of God were literally scattered and divided as a result of the sin of their divided hearts. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> that's depressing. And Jeremiah was named and referred to as the weeping prophet. And he has a whole book on it, the book of Lamentations, where he's just lamenting before the Lord because of the hardness of the heart of the people and because they would just not surrender. And his tears and his lament express this deep grief for sin and its consequences. And at the same time, though, his tears expressed a root in faith that one day God would make everything right. That one day, God would do what he promised and that righteous branch would come out. That one day, God would do what he promised and that everything that was wrong would be flipped and made right again because that is who God was. So Jeremiah, in the middle of his grief, in the middle of his lament, in the middle of his questioning, hang on to this anchor. And I'm going to be super honest and transparent. I've been grieving for the past couple of weeks, for just a bunch of different situations, friendship losses and, and deaths in, in whew, deaths that were close to, to my family's heart, the things that we're seeing right now across the globe. I mean, there, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain. And it's easy to be able to look at this pain and to say, you know what, if you're the good shepherd and if you're Jehovah Shalom and if you're Jehovah Sadiqnu and you're supposed to be, you know, my shepherd and my peace and my righteousness, then what's going on? Has anyone been there before or is it just me? <laughs> what is this hope that we are holding on to, friends? but hope that does not put us to shame. The hope of Jesus. The hope that one day it will all be made right. And Jeremiah knew this deep in his gut. I was just at a women's retreat um, for women pastors of ECO, and one of the, one of the pastors was, was sharing her testimony, and she was saying that everything changed for her the moment that she understood God's love. And I'm like, well, that's great, you know, like, duh. <laughs> of course that's how everything changes. And she's like, no, 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 no. It changed when I went from knowing it in my head to then knowing it in my heart. And I was like, 
well, yeah, duh, again. <laughs> and she's like, but it didn't just stop there. It's when I knew it in my head, then I knew it in my heart, and then I knew it in my gut. She just knew that the, the knowledge of who the Lord was and what he could do and what he came to do, it made a journey literally through her body <laughs> to where she knew in her gut that God was good. So in the moments when her mind would try to play tricks on her and say, God's not good, and when her heart began to feel a little faulty because the word of God says her heart is deceitful, so when her heart was trying to say, you know, this doesn't feel like God is good, this doesn't seem like God is good, and this doesn't feel like God is good, she could stand up and she says, I know that I know that God is good. So where is the knowledge of who God is, friends? Is it in our heads? Is it in our hearts? Or is it in our gut? Then Jeremiah says in verses three and four, out of this hope of what God is gonna do because God revealed it to him. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So this is where the message of hope begins to trickle in. Jeremiah starts telling the people, yeah, things are crazy, but a new season is coming. Shepherds would come that are actually going to care for you. The Lord would set these junior shepherds, if you will, in preparation to the one that was to come, that would care. And in the one that was to come would be no more fear, no more dismay, no more lacking, all would be made, not just well, but better, but better. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that, that breathes life to me because so many times in my itty-bitty, limited kind of perspective, I try to tell God the way that I would like to see the end game. <laughs> I would like it this way and this way, and if you could just do this, then it'll be, be like it'll be made well. Like this is my idea of made well. And I forget that he doesn't just want to make it well, he wants to make it better. And not according to my standards, because my, my standards are way flawed. <laughs> but better through him. Verse five, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now this part is really powerful because it wasn't looking too good for the royal line of David. God had promised way back in 2 Samuel that the Messiah would come from the line of David, but all the kings that were coming were just katahing it. They were failing and they were missing the mark. They were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this, this tree of David seemed to just be just cut down. So this idea that a righteous branch would come from what was a stump seemed pretty ludicrous. <laughs> it didn't make sense. God is faithful to his promises. The Lord would raise a righteous branch. 
And we see this in Jeremiah 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord we are talking about Jesus we are talking about King Jesus and this is wild because what Isaiah is saying here in chapter 11 he is speaking about a hundred years before Jeremiah was even on the scene and their messages are so similar. A new branch, a shoot is coming and he will be king who will make things right. In the moment when all seems lost, in the moment when things feel like they're over, in the moment where it seems like evil is winning and, and, and good is just not, comes the message of hope. What will this branch of righteousness be? King, king, and what will this king do? Let's keep reading in verse six. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This king will save, he will rescue, he will deliver. We know the story, but where is this information? Is it in our head? Is it in our heart or is it in our gut? Jehovah Sadiqnu, God is my righteousness. What's really cool here too is that Jeremiah is actually doing a play on words. The king who is king at the moment is King Zedekiah and what his name translates directly to is my righteousness is in Yahweh. My righteousness is in Yahweh. He had messed up a little bit and then the Lord called him out. He turned, he repented, and he was able to live up to his name. <laughs> My righteousness is in Yahweh. So Jeremiah comes and he flips the order of the words there. And he does a play on words and he's saying to Israel, when the Messiah comes, when this king comes, when this righteous branch comes and is established, it's not about what you can do it's not your righteousness. It's not about getting it all together. It's not my righteousness is in Yahweh. It's my righteousness is Yahweh. My righteousness is Jesus. Jesus is not a shepherd. He is shepherd. Jesus is not a source of peace. He is peace. Jesus is not a means to which I can have some righteousness. He is righteousness. So when I step into the fullness of all he is, he showers all that he is. Overall, I'm not. <laughs> he is our righteousness. And righteousness in Hebrew is not so much about this abstract idea of like justice or virtue. What, what clearly more defines it is right standing. To have righteousness is to have right standing before somebody. And this is awesome. <laughs> because when we go back to this idea of sin, we kata, or in this point, if we're talking about the, the New Testament where it says we fall, we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. The word that is used there is called hamartia, sin. Same idea, missing the mark. 
Because of sin, we are not in right standing with the Lord. We are not in right standing, and it puts us far away. We are guilty. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets are talking about, yeah, there, we are sinning and we are turning from the Lord. We have to repent and we have to turn back because he is our righteousness and something incredible is about to happen. And the fancy theological word for this is justification. When we accept the gift of Jesus' sacrifice and invite him to be Lord and Savior of our lives and we actually invite him to be the king of our heart. And I think that this is the idea. Most of us have probably accepted the Lord and given him our lives, but have we actually made him king? Is he actually the king of your life? Are you actually bowing down to his majesty and saying, have your will, have your way? Or are we just playing church? He is our righteousness. So when we come to him, we are justified. And, and what I tell the kids to kind of remember this, and um, it's just as, if, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. So this idea of justification literally changes my standing from wrong standing to right standing. R.C. Sproul said, the good news is that God justifies the ungodly freely by giving to all who believe a righteousness that is not their own. So we talked a little bit about this in Hebrews. I'm gonna ask Paul to help me out here. So he's gonna be God the Father. You just have this like loving kind of, you know, fatherly, papa bear type of thing. Okay, so God the Father and me, a sinner. In the garden, it was well, we walked together, we talked together, we had a relationship, it was amazing. Sin, it made a schism, it was gone, it was over. Game over for humanity. And not because his holiness couldn't mix with me, but because my sin could not enter into the presence of God without me being zapped on the spot. So God is love, and he is, he, he, his whole Thing throughout scripture has been how to draw close to his people but his people kept messing it up and God is love but God is also just so the word of God says in Romans that the wages of sin is death so basically what it's saying if I come before God what I deserve is to be dead I deserve to be zapped but this is righteousness now, I prayed so hard about who Jesus would be, and I could not find a more humble person and a more caring person and a more servant person <laughs> than my friend Gary. <laughs> so, in the presence of God, I deserve to be zapped. And just as God is going to deliver his wrath because I deserve it and because he's good, but he's also just, sin needs a consequence. Jesus stands in the middle as our great meteor. There we go, that's what I'm talking about. That is the energy I'm looking for. Jesus stands in the middle, our mediator. Remember we talked about this through the book of Hebrews. He stands in the gap and here's the thing. God doesn't look at his son and say, you know what son, you're my favorite son, you're my only son, I'm gonna take it easy on you. No. The wrath of God did not diminish. 
the fullness of God's wrath was displaced. It deserved to be on me, and it was poured out on Jesus. Yeah. So now, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is what it means that he is our righteousness, that Jesus is our righteousness, is that when God the Father looks at me, instead of seeing me, what he sees is me through the lens of his son, Jesus. It's not my right standing. It's the right standing that Jesus gives to me when I accept that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Is when I take it. This is amazing grace. <laughs> now, I know I say this all the time, and you're probably like, she's insane, and she's just young, and she's just, you know, looking through life through rosy-colored glasses. Let's have coffee, and I'll tell you a little bit about my story. <laughs> it's not rosy-colored glasses. It's what Jesus did for me. He saved my life. I wouldn't be here if Jesus didn't rescue me. He is my everything. It's not young. It's not youthful charisma. It is what Jesus has done in me. He is my righteousness. And I can't help but give him my everything. Because he gave me his everything. And I would not be here if it wasn't for him. Jehovah Sadiqnu, he is my gift that I do not deserve. My right standing. So with this knowledge that doesn't just happen, you know, it comes through the head, it descends to the heart, but then we got to know it in our gut. It can't just stay there. We can't just come to church and sing kumbaya and then go home and live our lives and then come to church and sing kumbaya. Like, something has to happen now. There's a response to this grace. There's a call to action now. When I know that my righteousness is in Christ. Now my call to action is to share this righteousness to the world and to display it for the glory of his splendor. Now I was talking to a really, really good friend of mine this summer and he gave me this, this kind of picture, this analogy that will never ever leave my mind so I wanna share it with you. Has anyone in here ever played with a light bright? Yeah? A light bright. It's when you have like an individual little peg. It's a blackboard and you put the pegs and then each one kind of begins to shine its light and when you put them together it makes this image Kind of like this dinosaur. You put each peg and then together you create this, this image. You are the peg. I am the peg. We're different colors. Some of them are like totally the same. Some of them have different shapes. It depends on which one you buy, which, which model. But we are the pegs. The Holy Spirit leads us to the board. God is the board. And when we get plugged into the board, the light that shines through is Jesus. You are fearfully and wonderfully made from the beginning. And when we are in right standing, when we accept this gift, when we are justified, when we go through the process of sanctification day by day, being made holy in the day by day, it's his light that shines through our peg. 
And the way that my friend put it is, when I actually see you, Linnea, when I see you, what I'm actually seeing is Linnea, is Jesus in Linnea-shaped ways. When you experience me, <laughs> when you talk to me, when you have a conversation with me, if you have a cup of coffee with me, what you are experiencing is Jesus in Audrey-shaped ways. When people experience you, they are experiencing Jesus in your own unique shaped ways. And when we realize the weight of, of how beautiful this is, and this is a gift that only comes from, from being drawn onto the board and being plugged into the board and then letting his light shine into the board, now the job that we have to do, you have one job. We have one job, to stay, to stay on the board, to stay plugged in to the source and to let his light shine through. And things are going to come, friends, that are gonna make you wanna ditch the board real fast. But we have one job, to stay plugged in and in staying and in being obedient and in loving God, what ends up happening is we create this mosaic together. Each of you with your story and your shape and the way that God made you and the way that he tinted you and the way that he crafted you and the way that your story has maybe cracked and been made rough around the edges, the Lord puts us together in only the way he knows how to create a mosaic for the display of his splendor so that when we let the light shine through, again, it's not ours, it's his righteousness, it's him, we are telling the story to the world. Can we be faithful? Can we continue to be faithful to come together in all of our brokenness, in all of our weakness, to let him make something beautiful. So that when the light shines through, when the people from the outside look in, they're gonna say, whoa, I see Jesus in New Providence Presbyterian church-shaped ways. I'm seeing Jesus through you. So we receive this righteousness, we, we accept this gift, and now we gotta do something about it, we gotta shine. And we gotta tell the world that they can be a part of this mosaic too, to display his splendor. Jehovah Sadiqnu, how wonderful, how marvelous. And all we can say is thank you. So as we, as we get ready to pray, you know, we have a response to this. If you've already said yes to Jesus in your heart, amen. Your response is to shine, to stay faithful, to stay true, to let him shine through you. But if you haven't said yes to Jesus, whether you're here, whether you're online, we're gonna, we're gonna make space for that opportunity right now. Because all it takes is a yes to the invitation. And if you're here and you're just like, you know what, God, I said yes, but the knowledge has been lingering in my head and my heart and I need you to transfer it to my gut. We're gonna make that, we're gonna do that prayer too.
and I encourage you as we're praying, don't think, oh, this message would have been great for somebody else. This is for us. He is our righteousness. Let's pray. King Jesus, we make space for you right here and right now. If there's anyone who's watching online or anyone in the room that has not accepted Jesus as Savior, I invite you to just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I invite you to be the king of my heart. I confess that I am a sinner, that I have katad, and that I fall short time after time after time. But today, I accept the gift of your righteousness. Thank you for standing in the gap, for dying for me, for resurrecting, and plug me into the board because I want to shine for you. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to love you. And teach me to rest in you. And God, we also just pray for those of us that maybe have have had this story just kind of grown stale in our hearts and in our heads. Revive us again, O oh God, and revive the joy of your salvation to your people. Awaken us for you to shine bright for the display of your splendor and for your glory. We return to you, King Jesus. We thank you for your word because it doesn't return to you empty or void. It fulfills its purpose, and we believe that for this church. We believe that for our community, and we believe that for the world. The world will see King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.